passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. What the heck is wrong with Gary Sanchez? How good can Will Smith be in 2021? And who is the real Mitch Garver? We'll answer all these questions and many more on today's Way Too Early Catcher Preview for 2021. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, October 6th. Frank Stanfield reunited with Scott White, and it feels so good. What's going on, Scott? Congrats to your Atlanta Braves advancing to the NLDS. How about that? How about that? Yeah, first postseason win like a postseason series since 2001 i think i mentioned that on the last show i was in high school back then and uh you know everyone kind of everyone kind of took braves postseason success for granted even though they only had the one world series and it was six years earlier you know they're just always there like it didn't seem like the last time they were going to be in the nlcs and they're not in the nlcs it's kind of a, a cheap trick where oh they want a postseason series to get back to the level they kept getting stopped at, you know. Um, but you should the Marlins feel, should feel I, pretty I, good I, against I, the Marlins, right? I, I'm glad it's the Marlins and not the Padres. Uh, that's kind of that kind of stinks for the Dodgers that they didn't just make it the higher seed versus the lower seed. They had like those fixed brackets, you know. So the Braves get to face the lower seed in Marlins, and I suspect it's going to go well for them. I I think the Braves are pretty clearly the better team that that hasn't always mattered of course the shorter you make the series the less it matters and i should know better than to feel confident going into a postseason series but uh couldn't couldn't ask for a better matchup i don't think you could not i think you lucked out pretty well here as a braves fan we were both pretty doom and gloom you as a braves fan me as a yankees fan we both managed to get past the wild card round we are recording this on Monday night, October 5th, I got the Yankee game on behind me while they are playing the Tampa Bay Rays. They currently have a one-run lead. Let's see if they can hold on to it. But enough of the playoff talk. I doubt anyone's here for that. That doesn't matter. Anyway, today we are going to take a little look at a recap of 2020, what happened uh, at the catcher position, and then we'll jump into Scott's top 12 catcher ranks for 2021. And mind you, preface all of these Upcoming shows. October is going to be all very early position previews. Many things are going to change. Players are going to sign in different places. People are going to be traded. Injuries are going to happen. So just take these things with a grain of salt. But mind you, we're doing some early mock drafts and we're starting to deep dive into this past season. And we're going to let you know some of the things that we found out overall. But 
All right, let's ju- let's jump right in, Scott. The top twelve catchers by NFBC ADP for the twenty twenty season, July only. So looking at you know when things started back up and people started drafting again, how did ADP round out? Of course, JT Real Muto. I don't think this is going to change heading into twenty twenty one, but he was the first catcher off the board for this past season with an ADP of forty three point nine. Pretty rich in that fourth round range. Uh, then Gary Sanchez. ADP of 88, Yasmani Grandal, 110.5. Wilson Contreras, the fourth catcher off the board heading into this past season, 113.5. Mitch Garver, 117. Salvi Perez, 166.4. Will Smith, 169.6. Wilson Ramos, the eighth catcher off the board, 183.2. Omar Nervaez, 198.4. Christian Vasquez, 208. Carson Kelly, the 11th catcher off the board, 216.6. And Jorge Alfaro rounding out the top 12 heading into this past season, 224.9. Scott, I will just ask you who the biggest catcher bust this year was, and I I think we're all going to lean the same way. But I will say there are quite a few names in this top 12 that were very, very bad this year, not just Gary Sanchez. Yeah, yeah, but I I feel like you could say that about every position. I'm, I'm... You know, we're starting here at catcher, uh, but I'm personally up to second base, and it's been true. It's been true at all three of the positions I've done. Um, the biggest budget bust to catcher, I think, would have to be Gary Sanchez, just because he was striking out too much to do anything, really, and he was the second catcher taken and felt like a very safe choice there, given his track record. So he's the biggest bust, but sure, you could... I mean, Mitch Garver was basically useless, and he was the fourth catcher off the board on average, uh, to a certain extent, I mean, Yasmani Grandal and Wilson Contreras were bust. They didn't end up finishing that low among catchers because there were so few, there was so little competition at the position, but they didn't deliver what we expected them to deliver and really didn't live up to the price tag. Omar Narvaez was useless, and uh, with the Brewers season ending, uh, there was, there was, there were a lot of comments put out by the GM and, and their, evaluating whether or not they even see Omar Narvaez in their plans next year. So, I uh, mean, Carson Kelly was a big, pretty big bust. Yeah, there, 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 were, there were no shortages of busts at this position, sure. And Wilson Ramos was even a name that I liked heading into the season, and he had 239 after four straight years of hitting at least 260. I mean, you thought the one thing he was safe for was batting average, but uh, yeah, Wilson Ramos was... Quite the bust in 2020 as well. I mean, let's just try and figure out, Scott, what went wrong with Gary Sanchez. And as we'll have to do with many players this year, trying to figure out how much of the season actually matters. But if you look at Gary Sanchez's seasonal production, there is so much volatility, Scott. I mean, trying to project this guy is nearly impossible. You look at his last five seasons o- OPS. Came up in 2016, already took the league by storm. uh, 1,032 OPS. Then 876 in 2017. 697 in 2018. 841 in 2019. 618 in 2020. Again, that's the past five years OPSs for Gary Sanchez. Strikeouts up career high, 36% strikeout rate. A 159 BABIP batting average on balls of play led to a 147 batting average. What a, We spoke about it a little bit with Nando last week, Scott, but 
It's like, what do we do with Gary Sanchez trying to figure out what we're going to get from him next season? So as best I can tell, all that really changed was the strikeout rate, which was enormous. And it, it, it ended up at 36%. That's usually, uh, that, that's usually um, untenable, uh, a strikeout rate that high. Somebody like Miguel Sano can get away for it because he impacts the ball so hard. He's an outlier in terms of that. But Gary Sanchez, you know, his, his worst strikeout rate prior to last year was actually the year before, 2019. It was 28%. So big difference there. And there have been times when he's been basically a low strikeout guy. So that was the biggest difference. In terms of batted ball profile, like line drives versus ground balls versus fly balls, pretty much the same. He actually had his highest hard hit rate ever. His average exit velocity was basically in line with career norms. I, I don't see I don't see huge changes there that would lead me to believe he's suddenly a different player. And strikeout rate, I think, given the strange buildup to the start of the season, um, kind of a hurried buildup once it was once there was a new start date for the season. It stands to reason that some players and and we, you know it's not just Gary Sanchez, there there are several players out there where their strikeout rate was just crazy high given their history. And it stands to reason that maybe that strange buildup, they never got a chance to get their timing down. So I'm, I'm hopeful in Sanchez's case, that's all it was. And I think given the lack of alternatives here, it, it makes sense to take a glass half full approach. I actually have him fourth in my catcher ranking still. Oh, you know, obviously, Scott. Same, same caveats apply to, to my, my personal rankings. A lot can change between now and March, but I'm fourth right now. I was going to save it as like a big reveal later on, but it's all right. It's okay. We'll get to the rankings oh, okay. a little while. I, we'll, so we'll should find... I not reference my rankings as we're going through this? No, Is that what you're saying? We're going to dive into them like very shortly, basically okay. right now, but... Uh, yeah, you'll have to find out who is ahead of Gary Sanchez, who's just behind him as well. The one point that I will agree with you on is he continuously hits the ball hard. And 17.4% barrel rate in 2020, that was in a 97th percentile. And that's been in the 95th percentile or better three straight seasons for Gary Sanchez. You also brought up the fact that he might have not had his timing down. Timing is a huge thing for Gary Sanchez. That's why he is so streaky. He goes through these stretches where he gets the timing down. You watch him hit. He has this huge leg kick. And it, sometimes it takes him a while to get that down. But when he does, he can go on the, this month-long barrage of home runs, two-month-long barrage of home runs. Or he can go through a two-month slump, which was basically this entire season. So it's a good point that you bring up on Gary Sanchez. Is, is that all you agree with me on? Is there something you disagree with me on? Should I? I guess the conclusion, you don't want him in your top five next year? Probably not. I haven't <laughs> actually ranked them yet myself, but we'll talk about it. I have a few names yeah. that I, I'm, okay. I'm debating potentially putting ahead of Gary Sanchez for the 2021 season. All right, so how, where do people finish this year? The top 12 catchers in Roto uh, from 2020, JT Real Muto. He was the number one catcher in rotisserie leagues. He was the 61st overall player. Salvador Perez, nine spots behind him, 70th overall, the second best catcher. Travis Darno, the third best catcher, 83rd overall in Roto. Wilson Contreras was the fourth best catcher at 135th. Christian Vasquez, fifth best at 143rd. Will Smith, sixth 
at 161st, Austin Nola, 7th best catcher, 169th overall, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, the 8th best catcher in Roto Leagues, 179th overall, Yasmani Grandal, 9th, 193rd, James McCann, 10th, 241st, Max Stacy, 11th, 302nd overall, God, the back half... <laughs> The end of this top 12 is just so bad. Uh, Martin Maldonado, uh, 12th best catcher, 307th overall. Scott, from what this... Did, what did Mark Maldonado end up hitting, like 212? I think it was just volume. He just played so many games for the Houston yeah. Astros. The fact that he didn't get hurt and he was out there for um, basically every game for the Astros. I'll pull up his batting average. 215. 215. With a 727 OPS. Yeah. yeah. Just... Just climbed inside the top 12 for Roto this year. Scott, based on this list, who would you say was the biggest surprise in the 2020 season? I would have to say... I, I mean, I, I, I think Austin Nola. Travis Darno is certainly up there, but you knew he was going to be a team's primary catcher, and he had a nice run with the Rays last year that made you think there was something more there. I, I didn't think it could be this, but... Austin Nola, um, you know, the guy got called up last year in his late 20s, despite being Aaron Nola's older brother and wasn't even playing catcher that consistently. And, and all the hype was on Tom Murphy before he broke his foot for Seattle. Uh, Austin Nola looked pretty good in the little bit he played last year, but it, it, would, it seemed kind of fluky. It apparently wasn't, and then the Padres gave up you know, they, they gave up. That was Taylor, uh, prospect Taylor Trammell, right? Or is it Taylor Trammell? Um, I think it is Trammell. Who originally started with the Reds, then went yep. to the Padres. Now he, he was moved in the Austin Nola deal. So they gave up a significant prospect to get him and kind of gave up in the process. I mean, they literally gave up on Austin Hedges. They moved him to Cleveland and I don't, I don't know where Francisco Mejia factors in anymore. It seems it seems like the plan is to go with Austin Nola there behind the plate, and why not? Yeah, and I'm pretty interested in Austin Nola. The season that he just had in 2020, 273 batting average, seven home runs, 28 RBI, 24 runs scored in 48 games. The one question I have is, how much is he going to play moving forward with the Padres? He's under team control, basically, and an arbitration for the next five seasons. I looked that up, but. They still have Jason Castro, unless he's on a one-year contract. But they no, have, he's, he's a free agent. Okay. They have Luis Campusano, who is mm. one of their the top next, prospects. Yep, next top prospect, yep. They still have Francisco Mejia as well. So, I don't know, maybe they flip one of those guys, but still, it's are we going to see a full workload for Austin Nola compared, like, you know, with those names that are, that are backing him up in the system? So, it's like the one concern, but everything else for him, the batter ball data... Uh, it looks pretty sustainable, so overall I yeah. like him, but I just want to see like what their plans are in the offseason in terms of their catching situation. My guess is that Mejia is probably done as a catcher. Yeah. Uh Cleveland did you know, Cleveland different different Cleveland San Diego trade than the one I just referenced with Hedges. But Mejia was at one point the top catcher prospect in baseball with Cleveland, and they had uh part of the reason they moved him is because they decided they they weren't going to move forward with him as a catcher, and he really wanted to catch. So I, I would guess now it's Nola uh, before the transition to Capuzano, whenever that happens, if that happens in 2021. I think more likely 2022. 
but we'll see. Maybe and and then maybe Mejia, you know, especially if the DH stays in the NL, he can still work into the mix there. That that's my guess, but it could be that that's obviously just a guess. And maybe Mejia is huge next spring, and or maybe Nola's terrible, and and then they it becomes wide open again. All right, Scott. Without further ado, let's dive into your early catcher ranks for the 2021 season. Number one, everyone's been waiting for it. The huge surprise, and it is... JT Riomuto. Of course. Of course. Expected to be number one. He was number one. He did it a little differently that he's done things in the past. It was actually the worst strikeout rate he's ever had. But... um, <laughs> I, I really don't understand what argument there could be for anyone other than JT Riomuto. A real muto. I got to train myself to say it differently because <laughs> I heard him say it himself and he said real muto. So despite some of the pronunciation guides online, going, going straight from the horse's mouth on that, JT real muto. And, um, you know, I'm not worried that that uptick in strikeout rate really means anything. Over a two-month sample, it was 24.6 instead of 20.7. I don't know. Probably doesn't mean anything. He's going to next year is going to be his age 30 season, which is getting up there for a catcher. But again, like who else is it going to be? Yeah, that's the biggest key for ranking Rio Muto first. I don't think you can really make the argument for anybody else. He is a free agent, so we'll see where he lands. Obviously hitting in Philadelphia was a great park for him to be in and, and a pretty good lineup to be a part of as well. But this past season, he hit 266 as JT Rio Muto with 11 home runs, 32 RBI, 33 runs, and four steals in 47 games. Remember, he dealt with some injuries towards the back half of the season. 840 OPS was a career career high for him as well. This is what I'm going to try and do to try and figure out what would the pace numbers look like for certain players uh, You know, during my analysis here in the offseason. And so I looked at how many games did he play over the past three seasons, and he basically averaged 137 games played. So you take his 2020 pace over the course of 130 games, and that would have given you 30 home runs this past season if he if he kept managed to keep that up. 88 RBI and 91 runs scored. Uh, Scott, the only thing that I will say is I don't really trust the power output just based on some of the batted ball data that I saw at Fangraphs. So it was a career year in a contract year, so... Keep, I, I usually like to keep those things in the back of my mind. But he did so with a 48% ground ball rate, which was his highest since 2016. And a 23.4% home run to fly ball ratio, which was by far a career high for Rio Muto. So, wherever he signs, I would just project for the usual 23 to 25 home runs that you would get out of Rio Muto over the course of a full season. Probably not the 30 that he was on pace for. Yeah, I think that would... Be what I'd say too. All right, Scott. So after Real Muto, so Real Muto is like basically in a tier of his own, right? I mean, if we're just tiering the players, he is the elite of the elite. Yeah, like I said, there's uh, the way tiers work for me is players belong in the same tier if you could reasonably rank any of them ahead of any of the others. Basically, is how is how I look at it. So I, I don't think you could reasonably rank anybody ahead of Real. Muto, so that's probably the right way look way to look at it, yeah. All right, so with that being said, who would be your second catcher off the board in 2021 drafts? 
So there might be some disagreement here. We've already talked about a little in earlier shows. I'm actually going with Wilson Contreras number two. And, and it it mainly has to do with track record. Right in the heart, Scott. <laughs> uh, two months is a third of a season. I know games-wise it's a little more than a third of a season, but the point is it's it's not a very significant sample. And so anything that happened in 2020 should count for less than anything that happened before 2020. There are going to be examples where it looks like where it looked like the changes to a player's profile were wholesale basically like he looked like a completely different player and and maybe we need to treat that with a little more severity but like Wilson Contreras is is his batted ball profile actually changed for the better and he was a guy who always outperformed his batted ball profile like it always looked bad and then the numbers except for you know there was one year uh, I think it was 2018, actually, where he actually performed like his batted ball profile. But otherwise, I mean, he's had to put it together a pretty lengthy career of out of, overachieving that profile. And this year, that it actually got better, and uh, and yet the production got worse. So I'm treating it as just a smooth, a fluky, small sample size thing. And uh, tw- he's only 28 years old, so it's not like he's getting to a scary age there. When I say it got better, like his line drive rate was better. Yeah. His, his ground, ground balls ball rate went was lower. Down. Right. That's what um, you always worry about with Wilson Contreras is yeah. he's consistently been over 50% ground ball rate for his career, but has maintained high home run to fly ball ratios. Cause when he puts the ball in the air, he hits the ball extremely hard in the air, whether mm-hmm. it's a line drive or a fly ball, he tends to hit those balls very hard. So uh, he did have a career low 47% ground ball rate, which I admire and I like it. I just cannot rank him ahead of Salvador Perez. And I understand that it's two months worth, but I looked at the last three years that Salvador Perez has played because obviously he missed 2019. And there's huge jumps in OPS, obviously. But he has not finished lower than fourth among catchers in each of the past three seasons he has played. So he was second this year. He was fourth in 2018. He was fourth in 2017. The last three years that Wilson Contreras has played in Roto, fourth, sixth, and tenth. So that was one thing I noticed. Um, Obviously, just the season Salvador Perez had, 333 batting average, 11 home runs, 32 RBI, 22 runs scored in only 37 games. Mind you, this guy missed about two weeks out of the season because he couldn't see. He had like an issue with his, he had blurred vision. This is Salvador Perez. Uh, And he was coming off Tommy John surgery. Yes, he was. And that's something I think actually helped him. And I've talked about this before in the past, is that I think he played so many games per season for so long that having a whole season off in 2019 almost rejuvenated him. And that's just a hunch that I get. You know, there's obviously no statistical uh, basis that, you know, I can use to back that up. But... I tried to read into what did he do differently this year. I did a little bit of research, and this is what I found. Um, some quotes per the Kansas City Star that just came out as the season was wrapping up. During the offseason in Miami, Perez worked a lot with Royals special assignment hitting coach Mike Tozar. One, one change that Tozar convinced Perez to make was maintaining a consistent pregame schedule throughout the season in order to stay consistent in games. Here's a few quotes from Salvador Perez himself. 
Have a routine no matter what. Doing good, doing bad, you have to have a routine, Perez said. Do the same thing every day. I think that's one of the things that helped me this year. He also mentioned that he was still aggressive. Mind you, he had a 1.9% walk rate. He was still aggressive, but that he was trying to avoid bad pitches more than he has in the past. Quote, I'm just trying to be on time. Try not to swing at bad pitches. Try to get ahead of the count. I'm still aggressive. I just try to swing at good pitches. Which seems so fundamental, obviously, Scott, but... I'm just trying to find a reason for why Salvador Perez was so much better than he was in the past. And I wouldn't bank on him having an OPS over 900 in 2021. Mm -hmm. But I think some of these changes that he made can help him be a better player than he has been, albeit not as good as he was in 2020. So I, I I am agreeing with you there. But I think that some of these things that he found and changed might help him carry over into next season, which can help him be better than Wilson Contreras. So that is why I will rank him second. I mean, it could. It could. It just it's We're talking about what he did over a 37-game stretch, and that's, that's the issue we have with all of this. We, he has a very long track record, Salvador Perez has, of being one particular thing. Uh, you know, below average in batting average, above average in power. Pretty good in power, actually. And and just terrible plate discipline guy. Um, I think the most compelling argument you made is comparing how Perez has finished in the catcher ranking in, in Roto at catcher over the past few years versus Wilson Contreras. There may be a little bit of a points league bias seeping in here for me because Perez, I mean, the plate discipline is so bad and it was actually the worst it ever was this year that it, it hurts him in points leagues. Obviously if he's going to hit 333 when slug 633, then that doesn't really matter. And he was a stud in points leagues this year too, but usually he's not, usually he's not a points league stud. And, you know, as a general rule, I don't think players become different players at age 30. You could point to some, you could point to a handful of exceptions over the years. But that's not a normal thing. 30 is getting old for a catcher, especially one with all the mileage Salvador Perez has. And I mean, to address your argument about not swinging at bad pitches, um, this isn't necessarily what he meant, but um, O-swing percentage, percentage of pitches swung at outside the strike zone, his was the same as the previous two years. Wasn't a big change there. So I don't know. It... I don't know. I don't know how legitimate that was, or if it was just um, looking for a way to answer a question that was asked of you. <laughs> I, you I hear. I hear you saying. Um, but I will also point out regarding the plate discipline: seventy-eight point five percent Z swing percentage. I know people are probably listening. Like, what the heck is an O swing? What is a Z swing? O swing is pitches that you swing at outside the, the strike zone. Z swing is pitches you swing at inside the strike zone. His seventy-eight more of them, yeah. Yeah, his seventy-eight point five percent Z swing was the highest of his career. So, all right. I mean, he was swinging at more pitches inside of the strike zone, which I, I don't think is ever a bad thing. Obviously, so mm-hmm. we're splitting hairs here. We'll leave it up to the audience to decide who they want. And again, this is who Scott has second and third overall in his catcher ranks. Anyway, so you have Wilson Contreras second. You have Salvador Perez third. I will have. Salvador Perez second, I will have Wilson Contreras third. And with that, you mentioned Gary Sanchez was your fourth overall catcher. We already spoke about him a little bit. Let's just say 
all these catchers wind up going, say you could get Gary Sanchez around later. It's, I'm just trying to figure out, because obviously there's no drafts been done yet, Scott. What do you think Sanchez's ADP is going to kind of fall in, like relative to these other catchers? Do you think he's actually going to go after them? Because for some reason, I just don't think that, I don't know if he is going to or not. Oh, I think he's definitely going to go behind Salvador Perez. I'm not really sure everybody's going to fall in the same spot as me on Wilson Contreras. I mean, look, Wilson Contreras and Sanchez were pretty close heading into this year, right? And Contreras was obviously better. They both underwhelmed, but Sanchez was a disaster and Contreras just kind of underwhelmed. So I, I, I can't imagine many people are going to have him as high as fourth or higher than fourth, I should say. Maybe some will have him as high as fourth. Yeah, so Sanchez's ADP in July was 88, and Wilson Contreras was 113. So 25 spots behind him, which is two rounds, rounds, basically. Yeah. Um, all right, so we'll see. Yeah, like, I think Salvador Perez is going to go ahead of Gary. I think JT Real Muto, I've mentioned this in the past, I think you know some people have been burned by Gary so many times that they just might not go back to that well. So we'll, there could be a potential buying opportunity. There's going to be a lot of recency bias, and normally normally that's not a term I like to use because like it's it's not always biased to to put more credit on the most recent thing that happened. These aren't stagnant uh it, it, it players are growing and changing all the time. I mean, the most recent thing they did is I mean, in my mind should be more indicative. Uh, if the sample is reasonable. And usually I would say a season is a pretty big sample, right? But it's just nowhere close to a full season. So recency bias is something I am having to try to combat in myself, and I don't really trust the population at large to do it so well. Um, So mm, I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be weird. It's going to be weird for sure. But I, I don't imagine there's going to be a lot of Gary Sanchez enthusiasm going into next year, and it might be a good time to draft him. Like, I, I could see some people ranking him outside the top 10 at the position. And, and, it's possible. And typically, I don't draft catcher. You know, if even if I'm in a two-catcher league, I won't be one of the first three teams to draft a catcher usually you know I'm looking at post 100 I might start to look at my first catcher in a two catcher league in a one catcher league I kind of just wait and see where the best catcher value lies when everything when ADP kind of settles down a little bit Um, but yeah I mean there could be a buying opportunity for Gary Sanchez those are the top four catchers so far in Scott's top 12 we're going to take a break we're going to hit on the rest of his top 12 but I do want to remind everyone to join our Facebook group. It is facebook.com slash group slash fantasy baseball today. You can also find the link in the podcast description as well. There are people dropping some keeper questions in there, some dynasty conversation. I am taking part in a very early mock draft, which I mentioned already, and I am putting some of the results of that draft on the in the Facebook group as well. So you can find those there. So if you're interested, please join that group. And if we helped you win your league this season, first of all, Congratulations for winning your league. It was a wild season, but let us know. Let us know if you won your league. Drop a five-star Apple podcast review, rating and review, and let us know. How did you win your league? And if you have an off-season question, you can leave it there as well. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll finish out the top 12 
in Scotch, uh, Scott's catcher rankings heading into 2021. We'll do that here, Fantasy Baseball Today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. All right, let's jump back into these catcher ranks. 2021, very early here. And so far we have JT Real Muto for Scott. He has Wilson Contreras second. Salvador Perez third. Gary Sanchez fourth. Who do you have fifth, Scott? I have Travis Darnot, who deserves to be higher based on performance, but... As I said, it's not normal for 30-year-olds to become a different player, and and Darno's another 30-something who did something he never did before this past year. And, I mean, by by all the stat cast measures, it was legitimate. Actual batting average, 321. Expected batting average, 304. Actual slugging, 533. Expected, 538. So, to the extent that that can be trusted over... Such a small sample. It was legit, but uh, goes back again to I'm 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 afraid to rank him too high, based on that small sample, knowing knowing what he's been for so long, and he had a he had a really good month long stretch. So instead of two months, he had a month long stretch with the Rays last year, where he was a stud. Um. But for the rest of the season, he wasn't. So that I mean, that kind of shows you just how how quickly, like how how a player's season can break down to make you think he's going one way, only for it to reverse suddenly. He's old for his position. He is under contract for another year, so that's good. Uh, I, I've kind of made the case for why I haven't ranked as low as fifth, I guess, as opposed to why I haven't ranked as high as fifth. But that's kind of just like at this position, especially there was a lot of, okay, but who else am I going to run? <laughs> you know? So uh, I see myself passing up a lot of catchers, I guess. I, as usual. Comes down to. I mean, it is not a sexy position. <laughs> yeah. Basically, as long as you can remember uh, regarding the catcher position, it has not been a 
sexy position from a fantasy perspective. But the one thing I will say, I agree with you that, I mean, there's so much of a sample size of him being who he is and being so injury prone over the years. But he hit the ball extremely hard. According to StatCast, 57.8% hard hit rate was the highest in baseball. Not just like uh, 95th percentile. No, it was 100th percentile, the highest in baseball. 93 mile per hour. Uh, average exit velocity was in the 98th percentile. So he hit the ball extremely hard. Would that have gone down over the course of a full season? Probably, but we'll never know. With that being said, Scott, the catcher who you have sixth, I can see myself, if he is going out of value in 2021, he is a catcher that I might have a good amount of. And that player is? Yasmani Grandal, who you would think I would give as much of a pass as I'd give Wilson Contreras. They've kind of been hand-in-hand in the catcher rankings for a while now. Both have been good for a while. But while Wilson Contreras is only 28, well, yes, Manny Grandal is 31. Turning 30 next year will be his age 32 season. Correct. That's old for a catcher. You don't see many catchers maintain a high level of production into their 30s. Uh, And so his drop-off to me is scarier. It seems like there could be more contributing to it. There was a big jump in strikeout rate. In addition, there was a drop in how often he played. that year he had with the Brewers was by far his best, in part because he played so much. With the Dodgers, uh, for being such a good catcher, both offensively and defensively, they didn't play him super regularly. They, it was kind of frustrating how often the Dodgers sat him. And the White Sox, even with the availability of the DH spot, kind of stuck with that. Now, with James McCann being a free agent, maybe that'll change. But I think I think those are two big factors that are weighing heavily on my willingness to downgrade Grandal a little more is just how much he sat and how old he is. This is also another name, Scott, that I'm pretty excited about. The thing is, how much can you buy into the improvements? How legit is this for your seventh catcher? I believe seventh catcher. Yep. And it is? Will Smith. Now, this is the interesting one because this is this is the catcher breakout pick, I think, for for 2021. A guy I could see making the biggest leap because of those improvements, which were dramatic and not just in one area. I mean, the big problem for Will Smith, the reason he collapsed, uh, you know, he kind of got two months last year and was awesome the first month and then kind of collapsed in the second month. The strikeout rate was too high and... He uh, kind of sold out for for home like the batted ball like it was a low Babbitt profile. He put the ball in the air a ton and didn't really make the kind of contact that would uh, lead to much success on balls in play. So it'd be really all or nothing hitter in 2019 for Will Smith, and he dramatically improved in both of those areas this year. His strikeout rate went from 26.5 to 16.1, so opposite end of the spectrum. And his line drive rate went was set from 17.4 to 26.9, again, opposite end of the spectrum. And that's obviously, line drive rate is especially difficult to gauge over a small sample, but still, it's it's what we have, and it looks very impressive. So, I mean, particularly given how little is going on at that position, those two would be enough for me maybe to maybe to move Will Smith as high as second. Like 
Maybe put him right behind JT Real Muto. Real Muto. Except the Dodgers are treating him the same way they treated Grandal with the exactly. playing time. And there were stretches this year where he was starting every other day. Like not even not even sitting twice a week. Every other day he had stretches where he was sitting. You know, sometimes he was starting two out of three, sometimes three out of four, but it was just very inconsistent. And you know, he missed a, he had a stint on the IL too, which didn't help. But you know, the playing time like he wasn't much of a fantasy asset this year because the playing time was so sporadic. Yeah, and if you if you look at that just per game production, three point four fantasy points per game was second at catcher behind only Salvador Perez. So uh, that's how good he was on a per-game basis, but you're exactly right. Are the Dodgers going to unleash him? That's what it comes down to. And if they do, we could be looking at, as you mentioned, the breakout catcher in 2021, the improvements that he made, uh, specifically in the batted ball profile and the strikeouts. Line drive rate went from 17% in 2019 to 27% in 2020. Walked about 5.5% more. Lowered the strikeout rate over 10%. Crushed both sides of the plate. 841 OPS against lefties. And OPS over 1,000 against right-handed pitchers as a right-handed batter. There is a lot to like here. You go to a StatCast page, it's just a sea of red. So, man, I think I think that I'm going to rank Will Smith inside my top five. I think he will be ahead of Gary Sanchez for me. There's risk, but I think that there's massive upside as well. With that being said, Scott, right after Will Smith, you have your eighth-ranked catcher, someone we already spoke about in Austin Nola. I don't know that we need to spend much more time on it because we mentioned the playing time worries me a little bit. They did give up a lot in the trade where they acquired him, um, but specifically, what do you like that you've seen from Austin Nola now two years in a row? Came up in 2019 as a, as a 29-year-old, basically journeyman, minor leaguer, but he's been pretty good. Yeah, and it's weird. It's weird that he got buried in the minors for so long because he was pretty productive as a minor leaguer. Never had much of a prospect profile, uh, and yet by defensive ratings, he comes out looking pretty good too, according to Statcast this year. Um, eh, I, I guess he was kind of a late bloomer in the minors. Looking back at the track record, it started out pretty yucky, and then got good last year before he got called up. But I, I don't really see any obvious flaws in his offensive game. I mean, it just may turn out since we have such a small sample that he's not as good as he has demonstrated, but you know, the expected batting average, the expected slug, they were right in line with what he actually delivered. The strikeout rate was low. The walk rate was high. Everything looks fine. And, uh, you know, he's already 30 since he is such a late bloomer and they do have alternatives there, but I don't, I don't see a reason to shy away from Austin Nola, really, given the alternatives here. Scott, your number, I believe we're up to number nine. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Who is that in your catch ranks? So this is James McCann, who, as we mentioned, is a free agent. I can't imagine why he wouldn't sign somewhere to be a starter. He was an all-star in 2019 before... Obviously, they, they, they signed Yasmani Grandal that following offseason, so he lost his job then. But he found his way into the lineup pretty often this year. And uh, while his production in 2019, it was good, obviously, but it was, it was kind of suspicious, it wasn't this year. He 
all, all the ways it screamed unsustainable in 2019, it didn't in 2020. It looked like it looked more legitimate. So he'll be a starter. He, he was he also rated better defensively, which was a problem for him in 2019. You know, I almost wonder now, will the White Sox let him go because he catches Lucas Giolito so well? And it's something we spoke about midseason when Lucas Giolito threw his no-hitter. It was to James McCann, and they've talked about the relationship that they have together. So maybe maybe he won't sign somewhere else. It, but I think his off- the offensive track record that we have from him, I looked at his past... 120 games played dating back to last season in May 2019. 260 batting average, 21 homers, 65 runs, 63 RBI, a 782 OPS for James McCann. His last 120 games played. And he's a career 23.5% line drive rate. So he hits Mm -hmm. the ball pretty hard. He hits line drives. Track record looks good dating back to last year as well. It'll be interesting. He hits, you know, 90 mile per hour average exit velocity each of the past two seasons. I like James McCann. Yeah. Just will he wind up somewhere? This is one that could very easily change if he winds up back with the White Sox. And then if that happens, we might have to downgrade Yasmani Grandal a little bit as well. Okay, rounding out your top 12, I'm just going to give out the final three here that you have Christian Vasquez, Mitch Garver, and Sean Murphy. Three pretty interesting names that are all over the spectrum here, Scott, because. Vasquez, he has performed well now for, I'm not going to say two seasons in a row, but basically for the past eight months that he has played baseball, Christian Vasquez has looked pretty good. I was very skeptical heading into the season, and he shut me up, but I will say the stat cast numbers for Christian Vasquez are quite bad. He hit 283. His XBA was 224. He had a 457 slug. His X slug was 360. So, Which was more in line with pre-2019 for yeah. him. That's concerning. And... You know, the inline looked great. He hit four home runs early. I think he had three home runs late. And it was like... He hit seven home runs total. (laughs) Four of them came in his first five games of the season. Right, right. And then he disappeared (laughs) for a while and got got hot late again. And so I don't know know what the continuation would have been. Would, Would that have corrected the stat cast numbers? Like, was he was he on on the road to correction there? I mean, he ended up hitting 283 with an 801 OPS. So... I mean, at this position, you don't have the luxury of putting too much on the stat cast numbers. I don't feel like that's two good years in a row. He's probably one of your better options at the position, but not somebody you want to pay a premium for either. Somebody I might target in points leagues because he is just going to play a lot. I think volume is probably his best asset from a fantasy perspective. He played 138 games in 2019. Um, so I imagine he'll play a lot again heading into next season. Mitch Garver, Scott, I mean, hey, you want to try and figure him out? God bless, because what do we do here? 2019, Mitch Garver was the breakout catcher of the season. 273, 31 home runs, 70 runs scored, 67 RBI in just 93 games. In 2020, it's only 23 games, so like, how much stock do we put into this? But right. 167 batting average, two homers, eight runs, five RBI. Scott, who is the real Mitch Garver? I don't know. I don't see how anybody <laughs> can know, but I can tell you his quality of contact, which was very high during his breakout 2019 season, uh, 96 percentile and hard hit rate, it was exactly the same this year. Like When he made contact, 
it was really hard contact. He just hardly made, hardly ever made contact. 45.7% strikeout rate. So it's really the same argument as Gary Sanchez. Just was his, was his timing, did his timing never get a chance to get right? He had an IL stint in the middle of the season, which probably didn't help. The difference why I'm ranking Garver 11th versus Sanchez 4th is because Gary Sanchez has several years of being a fantasy asset and Garver has just the one. Mm-hmm. The quality of contact, it was actually a little bit better in the small sample size 2020. His line drive rate went from 13.7% in 2019 to 22% in 2020. And usually that correlates well with BABIP and batting average. So it was really just the strikeouts overall that crushed Mitch Garver. And rounding out your top 12, you have Sean Murphy, who got off to a really, really slow start. First 27 games, 203 batting average, two home runs with a near 30% strikeout rate. And then Sean Murphy had a big September. Only 16 games, but 277 average, five home runs with a 22% strikeout rate. I like Murphy quite a bit too, Scott. He's another name where I can I can see myself gravitating towards in 2021. Yeah, I think people are going to think of him as a disappointment in 2020. But what it comes down to is he's he's had three months in the majors between 2020 and 2019. Total of three months in the majors. Two of those months were good, you know? And so one terrible month, is it brings down his 2020 numbers. But there, there's a lot to like there from the plate discipline to he, he himself makes a lot of hard contact. And I think, it, I think it's just a really strong foundation of, of skills for Sean Murphy that um, make are going to make him pretty bankable next year. I, I see myself having a lot of Sean Murphy too, unless unless I'm underestimating the hype he's going to get. All right, Scott, I have two final questions for you here as we wrap up our early catcher preview for 2021. Who among this top 12 list, mind you, we don't know where ADP is going to be yet, but who can you see yourself drafting most on this list? And in two catcher leagues, give me a name that's outside of this top 12 that you might be excited for more than the average person in 2021? Uh, who do I think I'm going to draft most? I would guess not having done any drafts and seeing what everybody else is doing. Gary Sanchez and uh, probably Gary Sanchez and Mitch Garver. Just shoot for the upside and trust that somebody halfway usable is going to emerge off waiver wires if it doesn't, if it doesn't pan out. Um, but I'm I'm assuming they're going to be heavily discounted for what I think their upside is. As for who I would have a lot in two catcher leagues or, or who maybe could emerge as that guy off the waiver wire if those don't pan out, number 13 in my rankings, I'm going to give you two names. Number 13 in my rankings is Max Stassi. Or I, I think it's Max Stacy actually. The Angels catcher who, um, you know, it, it, doing a lot of work here. His his 90 at bat sample in 2020 is doing a lot of work here. 278 with an 886 OPS, and he's 29 years old. But uh, I always kind of liked Max Stacy. Yeah, it's Stacy, or is it Stacy? Team ah. name Tuesday, Scott. Stacy's mom has got it going on. I'm sorry, I'm getting hung up on pronunciation. S T A S S I. You you decide for yourself how to say that. Uh, phonetically, it looks like Stassi, but whatever. Um, 
Yeah, he had a really productive year, especially once Jason Castro was out of the picture. He had 278 with seven home runs and 886 OPS, and I always kind of liked him, and I don't see who else would steal at bats from him. And yeah, I'm going to put him 13th. The other one I'm going to mention is Sam Huff of the Rangers, who hit 28 home runs in the minors last year, got a chance to play for them down the stretch this year. Baseball America gives him a 70 grade, 70 grade power rating, you know, top being 80, 70 grade is, I, th- I believe what Pete Alonzo got. Um, and in 10 games, Huff hit three home runs and three doubles. He strikes out a lot. Plate discipline is bad. And that may ultimately sink him over a larger sample, but he, the 22-year-old made a strong first impression. I imagine he's going to have the inside track on the starting job next year, and I could see him being a surprise contributor in fantasy. Right now, I have him 19th in my rankings, but the potential to move up a lot. All right, this is the first of an October that will be filled with very early position previews. We'll have some guests coming on as well, but you can expect first base will be the next podcast, and then we'll do second base... Shortstop, third base, so on and so forth. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be. It's Stassi. I don't know why I was overthinking it. Max Stassi. Stassi's mom has nah. got it going on. Oh All righty. He is Scott White. I am Frank Sample. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We will be back on Thursday. Bye bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.